two things before we begin so that we can get the mic adjusted. First of all, Bob, I was one of those people that when you said, I've got something to share, my heart went, not this morning, Lane, we got too much. And then God just said, shut up, Hunter. This is, you know, we're going to take some more time this morning, but this is the most important stuff you're going to hear all week. So you need to take time hearing it. And what he said about God working in this congregation did my heart so much good. I have not gone through the struggles that you have, but I know just from what God is doing right now that he has personally watched over you, that he has a plan for this congregation, and I'm just so lucky to see it uh, uh, come to fruition here, and I just, I'm looking forward to that. Secondly, I, I appreciate the worship committee uh, asking Matt to sing this morning. They're down on uh, vacation. Matt was in my high school uh, he, when, I was, when I was in my second pastorate, I was a leader, leader of a high school Bible study, and Matt was a student in that. He was in high school at the time. We go back 14 years, and uh, I love him like a brother. He went off to Eastman School of Music, and we, he worked on staff with me for six years as the director of music at, at uh, Mount Auburn. It was fantastic. So this is a brother we're talking about here this morning. When he sings, I want to burst out crying, and I might. One note about last week's sermon. <laughs> I always get these midweek comments, you know. Last week I preached on wives <clears throat> and how um, they were to be guarded in their verbal um, skills with their husbands. I want to make one thing clear to you. I do not think a wife should be seen but not heard. I think that it is in God's plan for a wife to tell a husband honestly to his face anything that is on her heart once. Okay? That's the message. One time. And I think that um, it is... Uh, well, let me, let me go on here. Let me just go on to, to today's message. Every man in here ought to listen to this. You women can turn out, tune out if you want to, just to have us a little privacy and not to use it against us as time goes along. Every man in here ought to listen to this, and I hope you wore your steel-toed shoes because I'm going to step on some toes. This goes for every one of you except for the elders who can fire me. <laughs> I know where my bread is buttered. I'm going to concentrate on verse 7 this morning because verses 8 through 12 sum up what he has been saying about Christian relationships. And we'll end up with, with uh, verse 12, but I want to concentrate on verse 7. And I want to say something to you men in a very plain spoken way. The Bible commands that we likewise, now look, the Bible has already given people who are under authority something that is not natural to do and that is to submit to authority and then the Bible gives women something that is equally not natural to do and that is to live by Christian example instead of by verbal flood alright and then God gives men likewise very important word something that does not come naturally to us. You husbands likewise live with your wives in an understanding way. 
as with a weaker vessel. Now let me stop right there. How many of you men really believe that you married somebody that's weaker than you are? Well, all right, there's one, there's one. What does that mean? You can out-wrestle her? What does that mean? You think women are physically weaker than men are? Well, maybe you can out-wrestle them, but listen, folks, if it came to where the men had to have babies, I would adopt. Yes, sir. And I don't know what I'd adopt because I know you other men wouldn't be having them either. Women are not physically weaker than men. They can endure just as much pain. The lifespan of a woman is longer than the lifespan of a man. What does it mean, weaker than men? You think women are weaker mentally or emotionally? Hey, I've talked to some of you guys after you have spent one day with your preschool children, one day, and I know that you've come this far to child abuse. I know. And some of your wives spend every day with those kids. You think your wives are weaker than you are emotionally? What does the Bible mean when it says a weaker vessel? Listen, the key word there is vessel. A woman can be compared to something that requires more attention, like fine china, fine crystal. When the Bible says, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with a weaker vessel, it means that your wife is going to require more attention. When, you, when you're handling a plate that's fine china, you don't toss it around the same way you do dinnerware or Tupperware or anything else, do you? You're more careful. You pay attention to what you're doing. And just drinking out of that or just eating off that is a matter of appreciation, isn't it, for you? There's something just in that, doesn't matter what's on it, that makes it special. Now look, you husbands ought to live with your wives in a way that you realize just living with them is a special treat, regardless of what goes on. The Bible uses precious in the sight of God, and that's what the Bible means. Now, I want to talk to you a little bit, and I want to talk to you just real plainly here. When the Bible says that your wife is a weaker vessel and you ought to live with her in an understanding way, I want you to know that to American men, understanding, just understanding, does not come naturally. There are few things that American men are less satisfied with than just plain understanding. See, American men either want to fix it or forget it. American men either want to accomplish something or they want to ignore it. Usually our achievement drive, our work ethic, makes anything we come in contact with, if we can do something about it, we want to fix it. But if we can't do anything about it, we don't want part of it, do we? Now let me tell you what happens. A woman is glad sometimes just to share things. Now, sometimes they want to fix things up, but what a woman wants is understanding, just wants to know that you are paying attention to her as a person. You don't necessarily need to fix everything she brings up. You don't necessarily have to accomplish every time you come in contact with her. And let me tell you, put your hands over the ears of your kids like this. Every time most of you guys touch your wives, you feel like you've got to accomplish something. You don't. You don't. This Ann Landers, uh, 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 what you call it, this survey that came out that a lot of women would just rather be kissed and hugged than accomplishing anything is true. 
It's true, honestly, honest to goodness. And you guys get all revved up and think you've got to make some big achievement out of a hug. Listen, the Bible says live in just an understanding way. Sometimes you don't have to do anything about what's going on. You just have to appreciate. And that is so far afield from where most of us come from. When we come home at night, now, there are two career families, and there are probably a lot of two career families in this, but let's just suppose that a man comes home at night, and let's just suppose that a woman is there. And a man walks in the door, and he says this, how was your day? Now, what does a man mean by that? Is he asking a question? No, a man's not asking the question. He's just passing a pleasantry. He's just getting himself in the door, see? That's all he's doing. A woman, though, believes that he really wants to know. And so she, she will say, horrible. Now, see, men, you have a choice right there. You can understand that, that two ways. First of all, to a woman, I want you to know, to, to you, I know you think that's an answer. That's not an answer. That is bait. You flunk. Because most men will say, that's too bad. And what that says to a man is, I have sympathized with her. And what that says to a woman was, he don't want to hear about it. I've got problems of my own. And so, friends, when you think you have been sensitive, I want to tell you, you haven't been sensitive, you have loaded the gun. And then you have another choice. If you don't follow up on that and say, tell me about it, I want to hear about it, then the worst thing you can say, absolutely the worst thing you can say is, well, what's for supper? <laughs> now see, to a man, to a man, he thinks he's just getting on to pleasanter things. You know, let's leave the day behind and let's just step on into the night. To a woman, what goes on her, her mind is, that's all that sucker can think about, his stupid stomach. Listen, you haven't gotten on to pleasanter things. I want to tell you something. You have pulled back the hammer of the gun you just loaded. And sooner or later, it's going to go off. Now, it might not go off that night. It might not go off for two weeks. Maybe two months from then, you're going to say something to make your wife mad. And I'm going to tell you something. She's going to say... Do you remember the night you walked in here and you asked me how my day was and, you, and I said absolutely horrible and you're going to say, no. Because you don't. See, you've just put it behind you. But she saved it up like stamps. And it's cash-in time, folks. It's cash-in time. Yes, sir. And then, I'll tell you what's going to happen. Just let, play, I want you men, when I raise my hand up like this, See, we're just going to do a little thing here. When I raise my hand up like this, I want you to say, what's for supper? Okay? Now let's try it. What's for supper? Let's try it again. What's for supper? Great. Okay, now remember that. The gun's going off here. She says, you remember that night you walked in here and you asked me how my day was and I said, horrible? Well, let me tell you what happened that day. The kids got up before I got up, and they decided they'd fix their own breakfast. And they burnt those eggs so bad, the whole house was full of smoke. I had to have a jackhammer to get those eggs out of that skillet. I told them to go color while I was trying to clean up their mess. Johnny got a crayon stuck up his nose. 
took me 45 minutes to dig that sucker out, and during that time, Sissy fell in the pool twice and Rover ate my best lipstick. That was before the air conditioner wet all over the carpet. I called up the insurance agent. He told me he'd send me the 15 forms we needed to make a claim, and that didn't happen before the next door neighbor came over and she just wanted to have a cup of coffee to relax with me and gripe about how hot our house was and asked me how we could afford those expensive labels that she just happened to notice in our trash on your lousy salary. Now that was during the time I was burning lunch, but just before the time I burned myself on the iron and then after that happened, the Jehovah's Witnesses came by. After I finally got rid of the Jehovah's Witnesses, the Baptists came by and invited us to go see their talking minor bird, Witness for Christ. <laughs> I tell you, Harold, I was really questioning the meaning of my existence until you strolled in and asked me, What's You understand what I'm talking about here? You gotta follow those things down as they come up because they will be saved. American men do not naturally come by understanding. And I want you women to realize that every time you tell your husband something, what that translates to him is, I gotta fix it. Every time my wife brings up an emotional need, she's depending on me to fix it. Now, you, I know you're not coming from there, but that's how a man hears it. And if he can't fix it, he wants to forget it. There's a country song on that, that is popular these days, and I can't remember all the words. It, it goes through the thing and says, uh, he's against so-and, this group's against so-and-so, and these against, against so-and-so, and everybody's against everybody, and then the chorus comes on, typical American man. But I'm for love, and I'm for happiness, and I'm for, if you don't like it, can't you just let it pass? That's the chorus of that song. And that is so much like American men now listen, the Bible does not tell you to fix your wife's problems. The Bible does not tell you to ignore your wife's problems or that you ever have the permission to do that. What the Bible says is understand, listen. You know what? If Barbara Walters got alone with our wives, she could probably find out more in 10 minutes than we have in 15 years. Why? Because she asks questions. What the Bible requires of you is that you delve into where your wife is emotionally. Not that you can fix it, but just that you can listen. That is so important. Just that you can listen because the wife is a delicate vessel. Do honor. And I know it's not, it's not a natural thing, but the Greek word here for grant or give is aponimo, and it means with all deliberation and all will to actually give it to somebody. See, there's nothing natural about that. Nothing emotional. Yeah, I really want to hear about your problems. I can't wait. Tell me about your problems. It's deliberate. I will listen to you. I will appreciate you. I will honor you as being just as important as I am because you 
are a fellow heir of what? The grace of life. And you know what? That word grace, charis, doesn't mean just unmerited favor. That's how we always define it. It means something that is pleasurable and lovely and floating and enjoyable. You know what happens when you honor your wife with your attention? She becomes as pleasurable to you as your work. Now I know all you men think that you're good at work and you're not good at family. But you know why that is? Because you pay attention to work and you don't pay attention to family. Those family things are more important to God than all of the accomplishments that you can do at work. Because look, you're dealing with human life. And your wife is going to live forever and your work is going to burn up. If it's not strict, if it's not of the kingdom of God, it's going to be burned. It's going to fade. It's going to die. And what do you have forever? You have fellowship with people you have loved that you have paid attention to forever. Now let me just go on because we got a lot here this morning. And I just want to say one more thing to you, okay? Maybe two more. First of all, I want to say this. That after you grant her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, I want you to know that that is so important that that can hinder your prayers. It says right there, that can put you out of touch with God. Now there are basically five things in the Bible that can hinder prayer, and you might want to take this down. The first thing is selfishness. Selfishness can hinder prayer. It's in James 4.3, and it says, You have not, because you ask with the wrong motives, that you yourself might be glorified, that you might use them for your own selfish purposes. James 4.3, selfishness can hinder prayer. Secondly, an unforgiving spirit can hinder prayer. Now, women, listen to this. An unforgiving spirit can hinder prayer. You wonder sometimes why God is so far away? It's because you haven't followed up on Matthew 5, 24, where it says if you take a gift to the altar and there's something wrong with your brother or you have something wrong in that relationship, you need to leave that gift at the altar and you need to go be reconciled to your brother. So an unforgiving spirit or wrong relationships can hinder prayer. Thirdly, unbelief can hinder prayer. The first chapter of James, verse 6 and 7, says that you can't be double-minded. That's verse 8. It says you've got to come to God believing what He is going to accomplish for you. And unbelief can hinder prayer. In Romans eleven six, 6, it says you must, it uses the word must, believe in God, that He exists, and that He is the rewarder of those who seek Him. So unbelief can hinder prayer. And known sin in the heart can hinder prayer. That's number four. If you have known sin in your heart, you're going to get such static, you're not going to be able to pay attention to God. 
In Isaiah 59, 1 and 2, one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible, it says this. It says, God's arm is not so short that he cannot save you. And God's hearing is not so dull that he cannot hear you. But your iniquities have separated you from God and have dulled his hearing. He has turned away his face and they have dulled his hearing. It says basically the same thing in Psalm 66, 19. And then we come down to this verse. Listen. If you want to be a spiritual leader, if you want to be spiritually strong, you know the first thing you've got to do? You've got to honor your wife. Because if you haven't honored your wife, you are not going to honor God. It says that right in Scripture. And if you want to hear God better, you had better hear who? Your wife better. In Scripture it says, those who say they love God but they hate their brother are liars. Because how can you love God who you have not seen when you haven't loved your brother who you have seen? Let me ask you something. If you want to be a spiritual leader, how can you follow God or listen to God who you have not seen if you can't even listen to your wife who you have seen? Anybody, I'm going to make a strong statement here. Anybody who says that they are a man of God and they have direct, relation, or direct uh, revelations from God and treats their wife like dirt is a liar. You understand? Wipe your shoes off and get out of his path because you cannot hear God unless you honor your family. You know how God answers prayer? God answers prayer in a sensitive heart. And after years and years of building up sensitivity, after loving God in the quietness of the moment, after seeking after God in his word, his prayers will be made known to a sensitive heart. Very seldom does God ever skywrite. Very seldom does God ever give vision. But most of the time your prayers are answered by a quiet leading, by an, by an urging, by an inkling, by an intuition. And you have heard the voice of God because you have become sensitive. You know the training ground for spiritual sensitivity? It's sensitivity with people. If you love people, God will be able to speak with you. If you keep up those relationships, you will keep up that relationship. Relationships are not an automatic thing. They take investment after investment after investment. I'll say one more thing, and then I'll quit. In verse 12, it says, For the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous. And the righteous we have discovered through study of the word, the righteous are those who are fulfilling the demands of a relationship. And it's, a, it's, a, it's an imperative verb. It means continually fulfilling the demands of a relationship. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous. When I went to Ohio University, I did my undergraduate work at Ohio University. They had a tremendous school of journalism there. And they had a tremendous magazine. And they had a very clever way of telling you 
that your subscription had run out. You would bounce out to your mailbox, you would look at that beautiful cover, you would pull it out and you would open it up, and on a sea of white, there were black letters saying, your subscription has expired, please renew. I know to an outsider, your relationships might look the same as they have always been. But friends, unless you continually subscribe, your subscription runs out. And all you got's the cover. There is a price, and the price is understanding.